Shock Monkey Radio is entertainment for adults, by adults, and the views and opinions expressed here do not reflect upon the sponsors or FXBG Public Radio. For additional information, please refer to the United States Bill of Rights. Stand warned. I hope you had a nice April Fool's Day, but it seems to me like we've been living in a Groundhog Day April Fool's of 2019 for a while now. And so that's how you make a sequel to Groundhog Day. You call it April Fool's Day. But I think some crappy horror movie already has that title. Anyway, welcome to Shock Monkey Radio. I am your host, The Madman. I want to remind you that I have a Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash shockmonkeyradio. Become a patron. I would very much appreciate it. Lowest prices ever, thanks to inflation. $3 a month to be a patron, a silent partner. You can always give more, obviously. I also have a cash app. Use the cash tag shockmonkeyradio, all one word, to send me money through cash app. You can also send me a note, either through cash app or send me a note through email using madman at fxbgpr.com. And maybe I'll feature, in a, feature your letter in a mailbag. Okay, so are you sick of the Will Smith memes yet? Um, do you have a favorite? I mean, my favorite is the one where uh, uh, Chris, Chris Rock looks like he's playing a saxophone and uh, Will Smith looks like he's playing an upright bass. That's my favorite, favorite meme. You know, it's it's funny. It's a funny thing about memes because you know everyone will get. Uh, it's like when Tiger King was big. That like Tiger Tiger King memes were everywhere. You know, I'm never going to be able to financially recover from this. You know what I'm saying? And then all of a sudden, just it disappears. You know, just it kind of disappears. Every now and then, you'll still see a a, a Tiger King meme, uh, but it's not like it was when it was hot. You know what I'm saying? And sooner or later, this whole Will Smith thing won't be hot anymore. And every now and then, you'll get. A Will Smith meme, and so uh, yeah, just just bear that in mind. If you get sick of memes, you know, eventually uh, the ADD of America will kick in. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> um, I took out the wastebasket in my bathroom this week, and I found a dead spider behind it. And you you know how it is when they die of natural causes; they're on their back and their legs all curled up. Anyway, but see, but seeing this corpse made me think of what that spider's life was like. Sure, most people just go, go get some toilet paper, scoop, the, scoop up the dead spider and flush it or throw it away. And they don't think twice about it. Not me. <laughs> I know you might think I'm a dirty person and my bathroom must be teeming with insects so that a spider can eat, but no, I am not that disgusting. That's kind of the big mystery here. So I really wonder what that spider was eating to survive unnoticed in my bathroom. My dead skin cells, perhaps? Mmm, Mad Men tastes good. But like I said, kinda it's... Salty. Say again? Kind of salty. Yeah, Mad Men's kind of salty. <laughs> okay, so... Uh, uh, but like I said, it seems like he died of natural causes. So maybe he starved to death. So why did he stay in my bathroom? If food was scarce in my bathroom, why wouldn't he move on to somewhere else? After all, it's not like he was born in my bathroom. He obviously made his way in there from outside. So wouldn't he know the way back out? Perhaps he was just lost and forgot how he got there. I just think it's very inconsiderate, inconsiderate of him to die in my bathroom. And as a result, I had to clean up the mess that he left behind. The mess being his tits up corpse. Yes, I know spiders don't have tits. But wouldn't he be weird if spiders were mammals? Instead of almond milk, maybe spider milk would be popular with vegans. 
But then again, spiders are animals, and they might think collecting milk from spiders to be just as cruel as collecting it from cows. Then again, spiders are sort of universally hated by humans, so maybe they won't care. After all, humans only seem interested in saving cute animals. Save the pandas good, save the spiders bad. Anyway, I know it's a weird tangent, but my point is relevant. So to all you spiders listening out there, stay out of my bathroom. You weird peeping toms. Eight eyes and they all want to gaze upon my naked body while I'm showering? Damn pervert spiders. Anyway, that's that's some life in the, day in the life of the madman's mind, if you you know, if you in case you wanted to know. You know, think long and hard about things that nobody thinks about long and hard. So I recently watched the classic film Get Him to the Greek again. Uh, and I will watch it many more times in the future because uh, I think rock rock comedies are rare and awesome. I mean, seriously, name one rock comedy other than Get Him to the Greek and This is Spinal Tap. After all, Get Him to the Greek is sort of a love story about rock and roll. Just like Jonah Hill's character and the affable nitwit A.A. Ron says in the film, Plus, I'd love to see Infisaro play again because that's why we're all in this business, right? You know, because we're fans. <laughs> and if you ask me, that scene, that one particular scene in the in the uh, record producer's office is probably my favorite scene in the movie, simply because of that that one scene where they're like, "I'm telling your boss I got the next Alicia Keys," and he's like, "What? Who was your Who was your last artist you signed?" Chocolate, chocolate daddy, chocolate daddy. How many units to chocolate daddy? 15,000 units. 15,000 units. I'm proud of those units. Proud of every single one of those units. <laughs> I love I love that uh, interaction because, uh, uh, and I use that, I quote that a lot because it, it, you should be proud of those units. Absolutely. You should be proud of those units. And the fact that this guy, Sergio, in, in, the, in the thing is just such an awful person, a little tyrant, you know, behind his record industry desk. You know, that guy still had the guts to stand up for what he did, you know, as as uh, as insignificant as it might seem to people. He had the guts to say, I am proud of those units. All right. And that's why I, I, I love that particular scene. And plus, uh, the guy Puff Daddy made answer this phone in the meeting. It's like, yeah, yeah. He made me answer the, during the meeting to humiliate me. Throw that phone out of this room. Please don't make me do that. I mean, there's tons of great interactions in that one scene. And so that's why it's probably my favorite scene in the movie. Please don't make me do that. Uh, and speaking of Puff, Sean Puffy Combs' daddy, uh, he actually did a really good job in that role. Uh, but then again, that character was sort of written crazy enough that you could uh, buy a crazy-ass Puff Daddy in that role. So the story is about this record company man, Aaron, going to get rock star Aldous Snow from England and get him to the Greek theater in L.A. And a comedy of error ensues. Errors ensues. Aldous Snow, you might remember from Forgetting Sarah Marshall. Anyway, uh, Aaron gets to London and meets his rock star hero surrounded by yes-men, including his own mother, who never challenge him or disagree with him. Additionally, Aaron finds Aldous quite difficult to wrangle. <laughs> he keeps wanting to change flights and all that. But finally, they get on a plane and he wakes him up. Don't sleep so much, mate. Thank, thank you for waking me up. <laughs> It's the most passive-aggressive thing. It's a great scene. Anyway, it's lots of great scenes in this movie. Anyway, finally, 
Aldous asks Aaron for his opinion on his critically panned song, African Child. And Aaron answers him honestly. Aldous, being a spoiled child, reacts negatively but gains respect for Aaron for not being a boot-licking butt-kisser. And that moment was sort of the beginning of their friendship, which is kind of the point of the film, being a good friend. Aldous's ex-wife, Jackie Q, you know, <laughs> who's basically like a Lady Gaga type, talking about my asshole. <laughs> you know, it's it's straight up, you know, selling sex to sell records. And uh, it's it's all a very meta commentary on the music industry. And it's it's great. All right. But um, uh, she's he calls her up and she's sleeping with Lars Ulrich. And she's telling, oh, I miss you, cock oldie, you know, and stuff like that. While she's in bed with Lars Ulrich and, and you know, <laughs> and there's this one, one sick burn that Aldous gets into Lars Ulrich, which is, which is a, go to Napster, you twat. <laughs> so uh, she's obviously, Jackie Q's obviously a horrible person. And Aldous learns that his son, Naples, is not really his son. And Jackie is a purely selfish person, having, you know, let him to go down on her, but she won't, you know, you can rub, rub my tits, have a wank. What am I, 12 years old? <laughs> Lots of fun British accents and Australian. Jackie Hughes is played by an Australian. So she's obviously a horrible person. And Aldous learned, yeah. And, um, and so having lost his wife and his son, Aldous starts to spiral into depression in a subtle way. But Aaron starts to catch on towards the end of the film. They stop in Vegas so that Aldous can see his D-bag father, Chief O'Brien. And after getting Jeffrey, who'd be scared of a Jeffrey? Uh, Jeffrey's some nice, nice bloke who lives down the way. He lives around the corner. I'll look up Jeffrey. <laughs> so after they get Jeffrey, <clears throat> uh, after they get Jeffrey and Aaron gets raped, yes, raped, uh, he uh, and shot full of adrenaline, they get chased out of Vegas and towards L.A. The subplot with Aaron and his girlfriend leads to a three-way with Aldous, which goes very wrong because that's not how love works. But Aldous comes clean and tells Aaron that he did it for selfish reasons and that he's horribly lonely and treated poorly by most people, especially the record company. Those British, those British guys live forever. And that's a hell of a point. You know, Mick Jagger's still alive. You know, like most of the Rolling Stones still alive. You know... Uh, most of Queen is still alive. Contracts. Huh? They got, contracts. they got contracts. It's that blue alien blood is what it is. And and I guarantee you, if Freddie Mercury never contracted HIV, he'd still be alive and performing. Okay? <laughs> so, I mean, that, that's, that just shows how dangerous AIDS is, <laughs> really. But, I mean, those British dudes live forever. Anyway, so Aaron who shows true courage and friendship, quits his job and throws himself full force into helping his new friend, Aldous Snow, despite all the hardships, headaches, and heroin shoved up his ass. Aaron actually knows what's important in life and how being a rock star has worn down the spirit of Aldous Snow. Yes, we are fans of our rock stars, but would you be a friend to Mick Jagger or would you just gush and fanboy over him because the Stones are better than the Beatles? That's a tough question, even for me. But at the end of the day, Mick Jagger and Aldous Snow are still people. People who need to be challenged and talked straight to. Most of all, like us all, they need friends and real love. So not only is this movie hilarious, which it is, 
It also has a very important message. So I love this movie, and I highly recommend it if you have not seen it. Get him to the Greek. 12 of 13 stars. Minus one star for a Ricky Schroeder cameo. Stroke the furry wall, mate. Okay, so um, so I watched Dr. Jordan Peterson's talk at Cambridge. And so I figured out Dr. Jordan Peterson's fatal flaw. Sometimes a cigar is just a cigar. And I think that's a Freud quote. You know, psychiatry is a funny thing. It's a fairly recent science that started in the uh, late 19th century around the time when spiritualism and mediums were in their heyday. One could even say that psychology and spiritualism were direct, direct competitors in trying to influence the minds of mankind. Perhaps you remember that movie Road Trip, where the smart guy smokes a joint with the old man, and he tells him, you know, you're, you're too much brains, you're not enough cock and balls. And that's, my, that's kind of my point when it comes to Dr. Peterson and psychiatry in general. Some kid kicks, kicks a dog, and you want him to describe his relationship with his mother, when did you stop breastfeeding, blah, blah, blah. Sometimes you're just a cruel little shit who is angry and punted a dog, especially when it's when it comes to that someone being a kid. But if you're if you're in your 20s or 30s and you're still kicking dogs, go ahead and ask them those weird mommy questions. But most of all, tell them tell that person that they're going to burn in hell for kicking dogs. Sociopath piece of shit. He <laughs> kisses. Mm hmm. <laughs> Where was I? Okay, sometimes a cigar is just a cigar. And that was expressed by Freud, the father of modern psychiatry. And he was a coke addict. It smoked phallic cigars all the time. I think that even he understood that psychiatry is flawed because people are flawed, especially psychiatrists. And psychiatry doesn't have a whole lot of true scientific objectivity as compared to other scientists. Sciences. For example, your general practitioner can measure your pulse, respiration, blood pressure, height, weight, check your blood, urine, and stool for uh, things that are uncommon. Think about that. There's scientists out there that have looked at so much piss and shit that they know what should and should not be in piss and shit. And they're scientists. <laughs> anyway, what I mean is that there are a lot of assumptions in psychiatry. Sure, logic is involved. That kid breastfed too long, so his relationships with women might be weird. But there's not much science per se. Granted, the inventions of MRI machines and machines like, uh, like that have been able to give us a better look into the function of human brains, but mostly psychiatrists deal with behavior issues, which makes psychiatry almost pushing into the realm of philosophy. And sometimes when I listen to Dr. Jordan, Jordan Peterson speak, I feel like I could find a verse in Proverbs for almost everything he says. Now, I don't mean that Dr. Peterson or psychiatrists are useless or redundant. What I mean is that you need to keep all this in the back of your head when dealing with psychological issues. If you're like me, you could go to your general practitioner and say, I'm depressed. And they might tell you to go uh, get more exercise, eat right, socialize with your friends and family as much as possible. If you say the same thing to a priest, he might tell you to get right with God and perhaps exercise more, eat right, and pray with your friends and family. You go to a psychiatrist, they'll prescribe a pill, tell you to get more exercise, eat right, and socialize with your friends and family more. What's funny is that the doctors will almost never recommend you see a priest, but priests will often refer you to a doctor 
in addition to their spiritual recommendations. I think people need God more than they need pills. I think Dr. Peterson knows that, but he doesn't want to outright say that out of fear of the condemnation from the godless scientists out there who think that there is no overlap between religion and science. The one thing we all know for sure is that we, we all could do better to get more exercise, eat right, and socialize with our friends and family more. How much time have I eaten up? Okay, 18 minutes. Get that out of the shot. All right. <laughs> I got one more thing I want to talk about before we get into the news. Um, I was uh, I reorganized my comics uh, this this past week, uh, alphabetizing them and all, and you know, giving chronological, alpha, alphabet, alphabetical and chronological. It's not autobiographical. That's nonsense. So I was, I was organizing them. I came across this run of uh, comic books that I really like uh, not too long ago, early aughts. I was reading it. It's called The Power Company. And The Power Company is interesting because it's all these, uh, like these quote-unquote superheroes or B superheroes. They got together and they formed this organization called The Power Company uh, to make money being superheroes. And uh, I'm not going to go into depth about what the, you know, the, the characters and stuff like that. But the conflict is that you got a bunch of different moral stances. And it's like, we're uh, like, you got like Manhunters in Power Company. He's like, oh, I don't want to get involved in that. You know, there's no money. There's no, there's no money in doing that. But then you have Skyrocket, who's like ex-military and she wants to be a superhero. And she's like constantly getting the Power Company involved in things that there's no profit percentage in. And she keeps getting in trouble because she wants to be a hero. But, you know, hey, we got to make money. And so uh, that's kind of a basic idea of, of uh, the comic book. Which, I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. Um, but it's not exactly a new concept, the idea of, you know, super, superheroes making money. If you think about Spider-Man, when Spider-Man first came out in Amazing Fantasy number 15 back in like 1962, 63, uh, Stan Lee, I saw him in an interview once and said, it's like spider and he's like, I never, I never understood it. You know, these guys are the superpowers and they're like, I'm going to go do good for the world. But Peter Parker, he's like, I'm going to go get rich. And, and that's a more realistic response to somebody getting superpowers. You know, in, in, in Spider-Man, in the Amazing Fantasy number 15, Spider-Man gets his powers and he's like, oh, I'm going to go make money being a wrestler. You know, uh, there's other things you could have done, you know, but <laughs> and uh, you also saw that in Luke Cage comic books, Luke Cage hero for hire, who would hire out his services, trying to make money being a superhero. After all, having superpowers is a unique skill set. And because you have a unique skill set that makes your your skill set more valuable in a free market, okay? And so when it comes to making money as a superhero, there's lots of ways you can do that. Like take Night, Nightcrawler. Nightcrawler, the guy who could teleport. You know, he just get, you know, gets, a, gets a lift account on his phone. So people said, oh, where, where are you? And all of a sudden, bam, hey, where are you going? Oh, I got to figure out a German. Where, you, where, where are you going? Oh, are you going to New York? I'll take you all the way to New York. But, you know, bamf, grab a hold of you and bamf, you're in New York. You know what I'm saying? There's plenty of ways for superheroes to make money. I mean, mostly it'd be like bodyguard work. Like, so, I mean, you could hire, like, if you're, like, a rich guy or something, like, if you're Donald Trump, yeah, I'm in New York, I want somebody to get Spider-Man. I want him to come, he's going to be my bodyguard. Spider-Man's going to be my bodyguard. And what about Luke Cage? It's like, who do you think would win in a fight, Luke Cage or Spider-Man? Let's be honest. <laughs> Sorry, Luke Cage. I think Spider-Man will beat you. <laughs> and so you get a lot of these kind of like bodyguard work, but then you got to consider 
and I think they even discussed this in Luke Cage. It's like sometimes, you know, you get bodyguard work and it's like it could be some unsavory character that you're working for as a bodyguard. Or it could be they want to hire you as a bodyguard, but they want you to come and they uh, do a, a meet and greet and they want you to sign sign autographs and stuff like that. Do you Could you sing a song, Luke Cage? What? <laughs> could you imagine somebody saying that? You can get all sorts. Of, you can get like a criminal endeavors as well. What? Do the Super Bowl shuffle, Luke Cage. That that's them's fighting words. That's how you get knocked. That's how you wake up in the hospital. <laughs> Luke Cage knocked you out. <laughs> so I mean, then you get like criminal organizations that could be like hiring superheroes and stuff like that. So I mean, it could be a dangerous thing. But my point is that you know nobody would hire the Hulk. You know, he's just too unpredictable. You know, it's like uh, Doctor Banner. We'd like to hire the Hulk. As a bodyguard, it's like, ooh, that's a bad idea. You shouldn't do that. He'd kick your ass, too. <laughs> if I get pissed off, oh, you wouldn't like me when I'm pissed off. I'm not sure that's how it went, but... Anyway, I just I thought it was an interesting thing. I was looking over my comic books this past week, and I was like, you know, it's, it's not exactly a new concept, but, you know, in, in the real world, <laughs> such as it is, if there were such thing as superheroes or superpowered people in our, in our world, that would make it a very marketable skill, very unique skill set, and therefore you could charge premium prices for your time, you know, <laughs> for your protection and all these, you know, regular, uh, regular uh, bodyguards, you know, they'd be out of work. Man, all these superheroes, all these metas coming in here, taking all the good jobs. <laughs> now we even got these foreigners, these <laughs> foreigner superheroes. You know, what's that guy? Uh, uh, we, we got a uh, Captain Britain coming in here. We got Justice League Europe coming in here, taking all our jobs. <laughs> anyway, just something to think about. Just one of the many things that you could think about. All right, let's go ahead and get into the news worth knowing. It's kind of a slow news week, so we may go through this pretty quickly because, you know, it kind of bores me. Anyway, so perhaps you heard of the Sacramento mass shooting, but the Sacramento mass shooting suspect uh, was released from prison early weeks before uh, before the tragedy and has a violent past. All right. So, uh, yeah, one of the suspects in the Sacramento mass shooting were released early from prison roughly a month before the tra tragedy, uh, despite being rejected for an even earlier release after prosecutors argued that he clearly had little regard for human life. Documents show. Smiley Martin was arrested Tuesday in connection to the mass shooting that left six dead and 12 others injured early Sunday morning. His brother, Dondre Martin, was the first suspect to be arrested in the case. Quote, Smiley Martin and his brother, we believe, were together during this incident, said Sergeant Zach Eaton of the Sacramento Police Department, uh, said of the shooting, according to KGO. Smiley Martin has a criminal history dating back to 2013, including his most recent sentencing in 2018 to 10 years in prison for domestic violence and assault with great bodily injury. He was sentenced after he pushed his way into his girlfriend's home, punched her, dragged her, and uh, dragged her from the residence by her hair and whipped her with a belt. What a, that's marriage material right there. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, parole board rejected his bid for early release in May of last year after prosecutors said the 2017 uh, felony assault, along with convictions for possessing an assault weapon and thefts, posed a significant, quote, significant, re unreasonable risk of safety to the community. 
Martin clearly had little regard for human life and the law and has displayed a pattern of criminal behavior from the time he was 18. A Sacramento County District, uh, Deputy District Attorney wrote in a letter last year to the uh, Board of Parole hearings. He was ultimately released in February of this year after authorities said his sentence was completed due to uh, pre-sentencing credits. Uh, Smiley Martin, this is a quote, Smiley Martin, 27, was received by CDCR in January of 2018 from uh, Sacramento County with a 10-year sentence for corporal injury and assault likely to cause great bodily injury. Prior to reaching the CDCR facility, Martin had already received 508 days of pre-sentencing credits and received a variety of additional post-sentencing credits. He was released to Sacramento uh, County probation in February of 2022. The California Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation said of his release. He was arrested Tuesday on suspicion of possession of a firearm and uh, by a prohibited person in possession of a machine gun. Uh, California laws. Uh, hours before Sunday's attack, Martin had posted a live Facebook video of himself brandishing a handgun, a law enforcement official told the Associated Press. Smiley Martin was also injured during a shooting and will be booked when his condition improves uh, enough to be jailed, a police statement said. His brother, his brother, Dondre Martin, 26, was arrested Monday as a related suspect on suspicion of assault with a deadly weapon and being a convict carrying a loaded gun. He was also wounded in the shooting, but not seriously, and made a brief appearance on the gun possession charge Tuesday in Sacramento Superior Court wearing orange jail scrubs. They're not scrubs, you know. It's a jumpsuit. Scrubs are for medical people, you know. Uh... Davion Dawson, 31, is also arrested on suspicion of being a prohibited person in possession of a firearm. Uh, he was reportedly seen carrying a gun right after the mass shooting, according to police. Quote, at this time, Dawson is not charged with crimes directly related to the shooting, Sacramento police wrote. Based upon the type of firearm recovered, detectives do not believe that the gun, that this gun was used in the shooting. The Sacramento County coroner identified the women killed uh, as Jontaya Alexander, 21, Melinda Davis, 57, Yamil Martinez Andrade, 21. The three men killed were Sergio Harris, 38, Joshua Hoy Lucchesi, 32, and Devazia Turner, 29. Forgive me if I mispronounced any of those names. California has seen repeated cases of criminals being released from custody only to commit crimes just days later. In Los Angeles, one sub suspect in a series of follow-home robberies was nabbed after he had already been arrested three times this year but subsequently released back into the streets. You know, it, 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 it's really, really kind of frustrating when, when, you, when you've, we caught him, we had him, you know, and those, are, those deaths, you know, could have been prevented if you had just had the sack to keep a violent felon in prison. All right? I don't know what all these credit days are that, you know, they, they get. But it seems silly to me. If you get sentenced to 10 years, you need to serve 10 years. Oh, the possibility of parole. is like, well, you sentence 10 years, but you only serve five. And, and that stuff is nonsense to me. That stuff is nonsense to me. If, for example, if I had shot one person, all right, I'm trying to be very specific here. If I had shot one person and it wasn't, there was no other hate crimes or charges, and EK shot one person and there was no other charges, and we both went to jail at the same on the same day for murder. Same charge, same sentencing. We got to do 20 years or something like that. I don't know what murder charges are in California, which you have to spend in prison. But EK gets out earlier than me. I would be furious. I would think for the same crime, we both have to serve the same time. 
Additionally, I don't think this whole idea is like, oh, yeah, well, we caught you. You, you. you know you did something wrong. Now we'll let you go. This idea is ridiculous to me, especially when it comes to violent crime, especially when it comes to violent crime. I'm not talking about someone getting pulled over and they got, you know, a, a, a gram of cocaine or something like that. That's a different thing. You can plead that down. You can get parole down for that. I don't mind that. But when it comes to violent crime, when you stab somebody, you assault somebody, I don't think that kind of stuff should be pled down. I don't think that kind of stuff should, you know, you should get out time off for good behavior. That's a violent crime that impacts other people's lives. Cocaine, you're just rotting your own brain, if you ask me. And I guess it affects other, cocaine affects other people, non-users of cocaine, because the cocaine makes that person a real asshole. And that, but I mean, that's not something you can really charge somebody with. Anyway, let's go on to this next story. I'm tired of yelling about this. <laughs> so uh, I'm sure you guys heard about Elon Musk and Twitter. But maybe you don't know about this. Substack VP warns Twitter employees quitting over Elon Musk. Please do not come work here. <laughs> so subscription newsletter per, uh, platform Substack poked fun at Twitter employees angry over Tesla CEO and SpaceX founder Elon Musk becoming the largest stakeholder in the social media company this week. Uh, Tuesday, Lulu Cheng survey. Uh, the vice president of communications at Substack announced her company was hiring, but warned Twitter employees upset that there would be less regulated speech with Musk on the board, not, uh, not to apply for a job at Substack. <laughs> she tweeted, if you're a Twitter employee who's considering resigning because you're worried about Elon Musk pushing, pushing for less regulated speech, please do not come work here. <laughs> uh, my survey was referring to the liberal backlash after the billionaire and free speech advocate uh, bought a, mil a multi-billion dollar stake in Twitter. Last month, Musk wondered if, some if something needed to be done to combat the social media company's penchant for censorship. In a March 26 tweet, he asked, given that Twitter serves as a de facto public town square, failing to adhere to free speech principles fundamentally undermines democracy. democracy. What should be done? Well, first, we need to educate Elon Musk that this is a republic. <laughs> damn foreigners. Uh, damn Justice League Europe. Or that'd be Justice League South Africa. <laughs> anyway, uh, Monday it was announced that he bought a 9.2% stake in the company, becoming the largest stakeholder, joining this board of directors shortly after. Uh, a Bloomberg op-ed calling the move bad news for free speech Tuesday, while the host of the ABC political talk show The View took a different approach and criticized Mu Musk's electric car company instead. <laughs> Jeez Louise. Likewise, Substack has come under fire from the left for its commitment to publishing voices outside the mainstream and independent journalists like Barry Weiss and Glenn Greenwald. In January, the company was attacked by the left over accusations that it had published anti-vaccine authors' newsletters. <laughs> You know, it's it's funny because uh, EK and I were talking about this, yet, uh, not yesterday, two days ago, about how it's really kind of starting to swing right now, you know, and I mean that in a political sense, on the right side of the aisle. You know, it's uh, and Elon Musk, this move is kind of important, I think, because it's uh, it, it could be like the first signs of change in terms of how the social media companies run their algorithms. I mean, if you have somebody who has a, a 
barely 10, less than 10% stake, but they're the largest shareholder, but so they get on the board, you know, and that, that allows an, one more voice, at least one more voice saying, Hey, you know, this is, this is wrong. You know, I was, I was thinking about this earlier today when I was driving over to the studio about how there's, uh, there is a use for censorship. All right. Now I, I know I'm a, I'm kind of a free speech absolutist, but I, you know, I don't want to get log onto Twitter or any other social media th platform and see a bunch of, uh, KKK white supremacist stuff in my feed. I don't think that stuff should be allowed, but the idea that, you know, anybody who disagrees with like <laughs> the political wins, you know, uh, the leftist ideals is KKK member. That's how they've try been trying to do it this whole time, you know, but there are real white supremacists out there, like Aryan Nation and stuff like that. And I don't necessarily want that in my newsfeed. I also don't want porn. I also, don't, uh, you know, don't want, you know, true racism, you know. <laughs> you know, there's a bunch of stuff that we do need to censor. I don't want pornography on Facebook, you know, uh, because, uh, you know, you know, freaking kids use it, man. <laughs> and, you know, and, and when I'm, when I'm scrolling through face, Facebook, I'm not really in the mood for porn. It's like, oh, look at my niece's picture. Oh, uh, huh? You know, <laughs> I can't switch gears that fast. So, I mean, there is a use for censorship, but at the same time, you know, it, it's been kind of crazy over the last few years in terms of what they are censoring. The stuff that truly isn't that offensive. Man is a man, a woman is a woman. That seems like pretty basic stuff to me, but, you know, people getting canceled for it. It's silly. It's silly. Anyway, let's go on to this next story. Uh, speaking of actual racism, Chicago church, quote, fasting from whiteness during Lent by ditching hymns written by white people. So they're only singing one song. Anyway, a church in suburban Chicago has told its parishioners it will abstain from performing any music that is associated with white people during the season of Lent. Quote, in our worship services throughout Lent, we will not be using any music or liturgy written or composed by white people. The website for the First United Church of Oak Park reads, they wanted to say, our music will be drawn from the African-American spir spirituals tradition, from South African freedom songs and Native American traditions, and many, many more. The statement continues, for Lent, it is our prayer that our spiritual disciplines, we may grow as Christians united for, in the body of, of Christ, with people of all ages, nations, races, and origins, except white people. According to a report from Turning Point USA, the church also erected a sign promoting a racially charged Lenten fast, saying that they will be hosting worship services around the voices of black people, indigenous people, and people of color. Both the church, you know, I love that thing, the, the BIPOC thing, black, indigenous, and people of color. Why can't you say anything not white? Because that's what it is, you know? That's racism. Anyway, both the church office and head pastor, John Ed Ed Edgerton, who is a white male, did not immediately respond to a request for a comment from Fox News Digital. He's too busy hating himself. The church was also reported uh, promoting, reportedly promoting reflections of what it calls evotionals, which have supported the idea of fasting from whiteness. <laughs> what the... Uh, in the section of the church website that explains its values, the church claims that its members support uh, a covenant of practicing inclusion by valuing people of all races, ethnicities, cultural identities, gender identities, sexual orientations, and abilities in every aspect of our congressional life. 
The church, which is reportedly fasting for whiteness, also describes itself as an open and inclusive Christian community. Well, if you're a real Christian, you need to, you know it's time to go find another church. <laughs> this is unbelievable. You know, it, it'd be one thing if they said we want to have, like, we're going to do gospel all during, all during Lent and get all these uh, uh, musicians from black churches to come visit you in Chicago and come and do, like, their music. Because I get that. You know, I grew up in the South. I, I went to black churches, and their musical services were way better than white people churches, you know? And I think that has nothing to do with, it's just that, you know, white people, <laughs> they worship differently. You know, everyone worships differently, you know? And unfortunately, there are commonalities between races, you know? But at the same time, you could be inclusive and say, hey, during Lent, we're going to have a bunch of gospel performers come and do the music. And that's fine. But you don't have to say it like we're taking, we're fasting from whiteness because that's racism. If you say, hey, for Lent, let's ha at least have good music because we all gave up drinking. <laughs> you know? <laughs> You're Christians after all. <laughs> so, I mean, uh, you know, churches, they can, they can run themselves as however they want. And I, but I think that real Christians need to stay away from these progressive churches that are trying to jump upon this, this weird socialist bandwagon. All right. Anyway, let's talk about Jimmy Fallon a bit. Jimmy Fallon mocks the CDC over booster recommendations in a late night monologue. Oh, so now it's okay to make fun of the CDC. Now it's okay to make jokes. Late night TV host Jimmy Fallon took a swipe at the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention uh, Monday night following the agency's questionable guidelines uh, throughout the COVID-19 pandemic. Fallon teed up his joke by referencing the story of a, a man in Germany who got 90 COVID-19 vaccine shots in order to sell forged vaccine cards. <laughs> He's still alive, by the way. <laughs> 90 doses, Fallon said. That guy could eat a fried bat for dinner and be fine. That's the thing, though. In China, they don't fry them. They'd eat it raw. Anyway, quote, he went on. He continued by saying, and this is annoying. Even after 90 doses, the CDC says he'll probably need another booster in about four months. <laughs> That's a hell of a point. Uh, Fallon previously told a joke at the CDC's expense in January, poking fun <clears throat> at an NBC News headline that wasn't super helpful, quote, wasn't super helpful, that told New Yorkers that they could see between two and two inches and 20 inches of snow over the weekend. And the late night host quipped, who's making these predictions? The CDC? The CDC has been ripped largely uh, by largely conservative critics for the past several months for its fluctuate, fluctuating and often confusing guidance in response to COVID-19. Most recently, the agency announced it would be recommending Americans get another booster shot. The CDC issued a few head-scratching guidelines in December, including a decision to cut the length of its recommended quarantine time for COVID patients from 10 days to five. The amendment came less than a week after the public health agency relaxed guidance for healthcare workers who test positive, cutting the isolation period from 10 days to as short as five days if there were staffing shortages. The CDC had previously, was previously hit for confusing updated guidance on masks, uh, despite earlier guidance that only unva unvaccinated individuals should wear face coverings. In July, the CDC changed the course to say vaccinated individuals should resume wearing masks in certain situations. <clears throat> Following months of apparent contradictory, apparent contradictory guidance, CDC Director Rochelle Walensky was placed on the hot seat by mainstream media, mainstream news outlets, excuse me. 
Quote, why should Americans trust the CDC? NBC's Peter Alexander asked Walensky in December. Noting the many mixed messages the CDC has been sending on masks, booster shots, quarantine intervals, and more. Walensky responded by saying the agency uh, is just reacting to the latest data on the virus. Quote, my job right now is to take all the science and the information that we have and deliver guidance and recommendations to the American people that it is adapted to to the science at hand. Jesus. She said, the pandemic has given us a lot of new and updated science over the last two years. It's my job to convey that science through those recommendations that exactly what we're doing. Jeez, she talks like Kamala Harris. It said science four times. You keep referring to the science. What is that science? Yeah. I don't know. You say this word. I do not know. I do not think you means what you think it means. Anyway, critics are accusing late night hosts like Fallon and the media at large, not only hitting of not of only now hitting the CDC after it appears that they lose some popularity among the American people. <clears throat> yeah, that's the point. You know, if you give like if you have you give a mon- uh, an organization like the CDC all that money. They're going to keep saying it's like, oh, if we keep making people getting shots or may get more money. <laughs> Seems pretty basic to me. Anyway, let's get into these last two news stories. Something to uh, cheer us up before we get out of here for the week. So, uh, <laughs> Obama tweets to save face after embarrassing Biden video surfaces. I don't know if you've seen this video, but you should go look for it. Former President Barack Obama tweeted support for President Biden Tuesday evening shortly after an embarrassing video emerged from a healthcare event the two hosted earlier in the day. Obama visited the White House for the first time since leaving office in 2017, where he and Biden hosted a healthcare event in which they touted the Affordable Care Act and discussed options for making healthcare more affordable. The former presidential duo was united again under the White House roof, but pictures and videos from the event showed people adoring the former president, even to the detriment of the man currently serving in the White House. The videos are hilarious. Go look for them. A particular video from the evening, which has been widely shared online, shows a somewhat embarrassed Biden seemingly wandering around the room alone while Obama is crowded with people eager to speak to him. (laughs) Quote, literally nobody wants to talk to Joe Biden, the Republican National Committee said on Twitter, sharing a 13-second clip of the event. Quote, this is so sad, the RNC uh, added, with another, with another 25-second video similarly showing people walking up to speak to Obama and shake, shake his hands while skipping Biden. <laughs> During the event, immediately before the RNC video, Biden is in a group uh, with Obama Vice President uh, Kamala Harris. Senator Amy Klobuchar and House Speaker Nancy Pelosi and others before he leaves and apparent appears to be searching for someone in the room. I do that too when somebody ignores me. It's like, oh, I'm looking for someone else. I didn't want to talk to you anyway. (laughs) (laughs) After a brief moment, Biden then stops, turns back to gauge how busy Obama is, and then turns and gestures to the Interior Secretary Deb Haaland, Holland, to join him on the stage. She does, and the two walk back to Obama, who appears to say he will walk over to them, uh, walk over to them later. Biden and Holland uh, return to their seats and greet other guests. Jeez, Louise. Uh, shortly after the video began making its rounds online, a former president praised uh, Biden in a tweet. Quote, always, catch, always catching up with the POTUS. Thanks for all you're doing. Help even more Americans get uh, access to quality, affordable health care. Obama tweeted. 
Yvette was undoubtedly scheduled uh, with the former president to be a much-needed win for Biden, who's faced a scrutiny for a high re- uh, record high inflation, soaring gas prices, and blame for not doing more to the end of the war in Ukraine in this last over 40 days. You should watch these videos because it's hilarious because nobody, nobody wants to talk to Biden. <laughs> He's the president of the United States. I mean, it's, it's like they're literally turning their back on him. Anyway, let's go on to this last story, a little, little blanket of hope to wrap around ourselves. Brooklyn-based nonprofit delivers blankets of hope to people in need. Hundreds of school children across the nation are sending blankets wrapped in handwritten wrapped in handwritten notes of encouragement to people experiencing homelessness, including Ukrainians who are forced to flee their country after Russia's invasion. Oh, you're tricky. You are so tricky, ads. You heard me talking you heard me talking about Justice League and this 3.0 copy of Justice League number what's that, eight? The cover looks pretty good. You you tricky advertisers. Anyway. I want now. I want that comic book now. I'm thinking of something else. Anyway, hundred school children sent in blankets to homeless people, including Ukrainians. It's a way to remind these individuals that they are not alone. The effort started six years ago when two brothers from Brooklyn, Mike and Nick Fiorito, Fiorito, sorry, uh, quit their day jobs to embark on a more meaningful life. They were on a mission to figure out how the world could become kinder. One day, they had a burst of inspiration. They started hand-delivering what they call Blankets of Hope to people living on the streets of New York City. It started as a family project, but it quickly turned into a global movement of kindness, according to Herndon Graddick, director of the Blankets of Hope nonprofit. With the help of venture capitalist Todd Chaffee, Chaffee, the duo turned their side project into a global nonprofit, Blankets of Hope, which helps students, this is quoted, uh, quote, helps Students practice empathy and kindness in an impactful service learning experience, according to the nonprofit's website. If you want to start moving to start a movement of kindness, you start with kids, Graddick said. Hundreds of schools around the nation have registered with the nonprofit so their students can understand life-changing benefits of giving back, its website says. Once a school school registers online, Blankets of Hope will send them a shipment of blankets and directions of how to host kindness workshops with their students. During those workshops, kids are Kids write handwritten notes with sayings such as, hang in there, or you matter, I hope you stay warm, to people in need. The notes are then affixed to blankets, which are fully funded by donations sent to Blankets of Hope. I might cry. Uh, Quote, every penny goes back, every penny donated goes to the work, Graddock said, adding that all other expenses are handled internally. So not every penny, right? (laughs) The blankets are then sent to homeless shelters or directly given out to people on the streets. Since September, 50,000 children, 50,000 children have written notes and sent blankets around uh, to around 50,000 people in need, according to Graddock. The math checks out. A school in New York started work, uh, working with organizations to send their blankets and letters to Ukrainian refugees after Russian forces invaded their country, driving millions of people from their homes into bordering countries. Uh, quote, one way the people experience homelessness is war. We're seeing the biggest migration of homeless people in Europe in 80 years, he said. And so we thought, how could we help make a difference? As well as the war persists, the nonprofit plans to scale its work in Ukraine to help even more refugees. Quote, we're currently in discussion with major global partners about the significantly scaling the operation, Gradic said. We want the Ukrainian refugees 
to know the world cares. The nonprofit is working to teach people to be kind all over the world and has already partnered with schools in 44 states across the nation and in three countries around the world. Good for them. Good for them. You know, and that's kind of the point is like, you know, kindness doesn't have to be complex. It doesn't have to be mature. You know, kids, even children understand somebody who has less than them or, or has need. And so when you like, you get these kids involved in this kind of like nonprofit kind of uh, activity, you know, I think it, it, it really does show that, you know, humans at their core, they know it's better to be kind, you know, than to be mean, you know, it's a very simple concept that even, you know, young children can grasp, you know, it's a good, it's a good thing to help out people and giving people blankets. I mean, that's, uh, that's like one of the simplest things you can do. Simplest things you can do to make someone's you know life better. You know, I don't know if you ever slept outside in the cold. I have. And you know, there's plenty <laughs> plenty of times I wished I had a blanket. And when you're cold and you can't sleep, you know, it's like if I just had a blanket, I could get some sleep. And it's just it's it, things don't have to be complex. You don't have to think too too long and hard about the spider that died in your bathroom. You know, you don't have to, you know, get your brain all mucked up with all the nonsense that drives me crazy. You know, you just need to give a little and be simple about it. You know, food, shelter, warmth. You know, these are things that we all need and that even children can understand. Anyway, good for them. Good for Blankets of Hope. Give to them if you can. If you can, you can give to me. You can go to patreon.com slash shockmonkeyradio and become a patron. I would appreciate that very much. $3 a month to be a silent partner. You can always give more if you like, and I would appreciate that. Uh, I also have a cash app. You can use the cash tag shockmonkeyradio. Send me money through cash app. Cash tag shockmonkeyradio, all one word. I would appreciate that as well. You can also email me at madman at fxbgpr.com. And, uh, you know, we can chat. We can have a little talk. We can talk about stuff. Yeah, so this is going to be the end of the show. This has been Shock Monkey Radio. I'm the Madman, and I love you.